You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James. And welcome, everyone, to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we are talking with the Resource Woman's founder and principal consultant, Catherine Porter. Catherine utilizes a unique skill set to help law firms and businesses increase profitability and retain the best clients and the best talent. On today's episode, Catherine's going to be talking with us about leveraging the designer's mindset for success in any business. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Catherine Porter. Thanks, Teresa. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm super excited to have you on the show. And before we get started, and so I don't forget, why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm a lawyer. I practice part-time and I'm also a certified life coach and I have a professional certificate in design thinking. And about two years ago, I founded a consulting business to help companies use human-centered design and design thinking to cultivate cultures that align with their missions, values, and goals. And human-centered design is an approach to problem solving that focuses on the human needs of the people who will be interacting with the design. It's something that's been used by companies that design products for years, like Apple, Nike, even Pepsi. And it's starting to gain traction in service design as well. And in my work, I bring that human-centered design to the internal experiences of employees. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm fascinated by the concept, but I want to talk, that was a, that was a brief intro, but let's really talk about what, what do we mean by this designer's mindset? What are you talking about? Yeah. So when we talk about the designer's mindset, it's the, just that it's the mindset, obviously that approach, um, that designers use when they approach a problem or try to solve, solve a particular problem or deal with an issue. And let, let me ask you this. What designers are we talking about? We're talking oh. about designing women designers? <laughs> well, it could be, you can design anything. I mean, there's, um, like I said, it, it really started with companies like, Apple and or even before that in product design, most of what you hear about design thinking, its originations were in designing products, but more and more you're seeing people designing a service and like, and like, so whether it's legal services or um, other kinds of, you know, interactions, websites that have services, they are even restaurants, you could really use it for anything. There was a example of a case in Denmark or a, a case scenario in Denmark where a small town wanted to uh, design a better meal service for their for their senior citizens who were malnourished. And so they hired a design firm. When they came in, it wasn't actually the they they came in, all they asked the design team to do was to, to create a new menu. 
but they got in and they went through the kind of the steps of design thinking and applying a lot of the mindsets that we're going to talk about. And they really realized that the issue wasn't the menu. It was a whole host of other things. It was the seniors feeling a lost um, sense of autonomy. And it was the kitchen workers themselves kind of being demoralized and not feeling like they were doing anything special or anything like that. So, so when they revealed those as they went through the design thinking process, they really ended up uh, solving the nutrition problem and creating a meal service that was really meeting the needs of everybody. All right. Interesting. I just, I, I didn't occur to me to apply it to other things like that. I think it's great. Well, let's talk about that. Let's, let's, let's get into what the, what the designer's mindset is. I know there's different aspects of it. So let's start in on talking about a bit about that. Sure. I'm going to start with the first one that I think is the the kind of the underpinning of the whole human centered design uh, process, which is the, which is empathy. And so designers are focusing on the human values and keeping everyone, all the humans that are going to interact with the design in mind. So that could be employees, customers, managers, executives, any stakeholders, the families of people who will be interacting with a design, even depending on that comes up a lot in healthcare settings. So, um, so really just that, again, it's that human need and it helps you develop products and services that really meet the needs of your clients and customers and also helps create a workplace culture where employees feel safe to bring their whole selves to work because the idea is that everyone feels seen and heard. Kind of going along with that, bringing everyone into the process is the radical collaboration. And I like to say design is a team sport. So you really intentionally bring in people from different roles, different functions, who have different perspectives in to really help understand a problem and develop the solutions. Uh, so like, let's say you were trying to design a new onboarding process. You would probably naturally you'd want to bring in people from um, from human resources, but you'd also want to talk to people who are maybe recent hires or veterans or potential coworkers and all the different levels and functions to really understand, you know, how to make that onboarding process um, better for everyone. And it also stands on the idea that anyone could come up with a, an idea that will ultimately lead to the solution. So there's no, it's not top down, it's very democratic. Designers also kind of like in that good kitchen example, they embrace that ambiguity. They're, they're comfortable figuring out the solutions and even figuring out the problem as you go along. So you might find that what you think is the problem isn't really the problem. And that was, that ties into that good kitchen where, you know, they thought they were going to design new menus, but what they really discovered was there were a lot more layers to the problem than they realized. And so, so on the ambiguity side, that's, you talk about embracing the ambiguity. Mm -hmm. That's, that's sort of taking that being uh, open to the idea that you may think it's one thing, but it's actually something else. Your problem is actually something else or a stumbling block could actually be something else. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. And the idea is when you embrace it because you just, you understand, you don't go in with this. I know I'm solving X, Y, Z. You, you embrace that. You don't know the answer or you don't even know what the problem is and sort of just being okay with that and being really comfortable with it. All right. Okay. So we have empathy, embracing the ambiguity. What else? 
radical collaboration. And then also the next one I wanted to talk about is that bias to action. Designers favor building and testing over talking and planning. And I think this is really powerful because to me, it's like the to death to the endless meetings where nothing gets done. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that, sister. <laughs> yeah, right. And and endless and you know all those email chains and 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 all this talking, uh, planning, and wondering. Well, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. You know, when you have a designer's mindset, you're like, hey, let's try it. And it doesn't have right. to be some giant, uh, you know, project. You can try a little piece of it and see what that works works with. And so, just like when you have this embracing your ambiguity and you don't know the answer. You're more willing maybe to try things and just to take that first step. I'm thinking about we had um, someone from the company called Buffer, who's mm-hmm. a social media uh, platform and a distribution platform. But they they were thinking of doing a four four day work week. And it was kind of the same thing. It's like they got to a point where like, OK, let's just try it. Right. We think we got it. We talked it to death. We think we know what's going to happen. But. We don't know what's going to happen unless we try it. Let's try it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, yeah. So and I love, I do too. I love the bias action. It gives you a lot of freedom because you're not uh, afraid to try things. And, you know, going along with that, you also iterate and experiment multiple times while you're going through the design process. So you build prototypes to make it an idea real, or you just try it like the like buffer with the four day work week. And if this is a service, it might be walking people through an experience. And the, so there's different ways to experiment depending on what you're designing. And then you take that information back and you iterate and you tweak your design and you keep going through that multiple times because you get better information every time. And, you know, it helps get you towards a solution before you invest a lot of resources into a complete change or a new design that might or might not work. Um, And you get that feedback as you go along. How do you overcome resistance? That's always, I mean, change is always going to be resistant. Right. And I think that's one of the things that design thinking and human-centered design is really good at because it invites everyone in to the room and that radical collaboration. So you're not just, you know, I know like in the law firm I was at for uh, quite a while, it was always the same group of people who are willing to test out a new service or a new um, you know, platform, a new word processor or document you know system or whatever it was it was always the same group of people that were you know open to it and testing it well humans are designed you want to give it to the the grumpy (laughs) the grumpy partner in the office is like i can't do this you know my um partner actually works in healthcare and they're rolling out a um a home health service and they're giving people tablets patients in the home and to interact and, and there was this one woman who was like oh I'm not and she's like 85 90 whatever and she's like oh I don't want to you know I don't know how to work this I'm not very good with technology and then five minutes later she's going so can I use it to do this can I use it to do that can, can I, I get out Amazon on this thing <laughs> right exactly and so she would you know so you, you want to invite her in the room and and test and invite them into the process and then they see like oh okay this is what it is. And they understand it's And design thinking is really good at building that uh, consensus and getting the buy-in from all the different stakeholders. I mean, there's always going to be some who are just super resistant yes. to change, but you don't hide from them. You bring them into the process and hopefully that helps a little bit. <laughs> so. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. 
Yeah, that's always going to be overcoming that mindset is always going to be a tough thing. Yeah, exactly. And the the last mindset that characterizes human-centered design is that is I call it failure immunity. And it kind of goes along with what we've been talking about. You try stuff, you see if it works out. And if it doesn't, it's not a failure. You go back to the drawing board and you tweak it and you go forward. And so, you know, you're, we often get stuck thinking that in binary terms, like it's either, it's either a success or it's a failure. Um, or we tried something and it didn't work the way we hoped. So it's a failure. Um, instead, in design thinking, you approach problems with an understanding that you're exploring and you're letting the design process be your guide. And you actually want to fail fast and fail uh, early. That's what we say. Fail early, fail fast. Um, because these failures, so-called, are opportunities to learn and adjust and get better information. So that's why you build, you test, you experiment because you're gathering more information. You're going in with the idea that this might not work and how can you test it out to see if it might work and how do you gather that information to make the design even better? Love it. I want to ask, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. <laughs> what, because I want to talk, because we're going to, we're going to lead into a break here pretty soon. And then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about kind of this idea, this design mindset from the employer and employee perspectives. But I kind of want to hear what's, what's been your, what's, what's been your most success? What's been your failure? Where have you seen the challenges with your, with your clients? Not sharing, of course, any client names. <laughs> you don't want yeah, to know. it's definitely been that resistance to change and that idea. People are really afraid to try something different, even at the level, or they try to bring me in and they really want to control the process. And they're like, well, we know we want to do X, Y, Z. And so it's like, well, maybe you don't want to do X, Y, Z. Maybe you need A, B, C instead. And so, right, let's talk ambiguity, you. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I think, you know, people hear that, but they don't really internalize it. And so that can really um, make it more difficult to get a good outcome. And that's, that's I've had clients like that. And, and, but eventually, you know, it takes them a little while, but they do eventually come around. And I think it's big. Because you embrace this process, we're like, well, let's just try it. Let's just see, you know, let's try this little, let's try it this way. And you make it really small and it's easy to say, yes, okay, fine. You know, we can experiment that. That makes sense. And you sort of build up that, that trust in the process and that helps overcome that, that resistance. And no one ever wants to bring in the grumpy people in the corner, you know, <laughs> and so you have to, you have to buy like, no, no, this is actually a good thing. And, um, and most recently I was working with a client who I actually was in her program it was a really great group coaching experience. And, and she was like, she wanted to, um, she's thinking about a new model that she wants to try or try a different model. Cause she loves doing, she was just doing this. Her model was so, um, focused on her. She was spending so much time supporting these, um, all of us in the program. And it's hard to sustain that and, and, may, and still make it affordable for people. So we are working, we're kind of in the middle of it right now, working on, well, what does it look like to, to have a business that you can manage and still have the impact that you want to have at, at the price point that you want to be at for your, for your, um, clients. And so, you know, we're going in right now, we're in the research phase. So I'm trying to understand 
and talk to former clients, talk to current clients, talk to people that may ideally I'm hoping to maybe talk to some people who actually didn't sign up to find out well why what was it that that you didn't want what what about the service that you didn't didn't appeal to you and so to really understand that and then we're going to ideate and prototype which is part of the design thinking process and hopefully we'll come up with a solution that works for her and her clients so that's i'm really excited about that but she came to me and was talking to me about it and you know, we came up with this plan. And, and so I think it's going to be really powerful for her as a way to kind of roll out that new service. I love it. Okay. And we kind of know what it is. We kind of, we get that we have the elements. We kind of know how it works. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Catherine's going to talk uh, more about leveraging this designer's mindset from the employer and employee perspectives. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who worked 12 hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals. But I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us, like us, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Catherine Porter, the resource woman about leveraging the designer's mindset. Catherine, now that we understand what the designer's mindset is, how can our listeners Put it into practice? How do we put this designer's mindset concept into action? Let's start with the employer side. Okay. Well, I think one of the tools I like to use when I'm working with clients is a journey map. And so you want to understand the a high level view, a high level view, or you can get really granular, the steps that um, if it's your employee, if you're at your workplace, you want to work on internally, then you want to understand your employee's journey. And if it's a service or a product that you're looking at designing or redesigning, you want to, to trace the steps, map out the steps of your uh, customers and clients. And you don't want to just start with their first interaction with the company. I see that a lot of times people do that when they're coming out with a new service or product, they focus on the, the touch points, like those actual physical interactions with the company. But really in design thinking, we want to go broader and we want to go back into earlier in the whole journey, which is maybe that the client sees a need or realizes they have a problem that they need to find a solution for. And so it's kind of like, how, what are all those steps that bring them into the door? And one of the powerful things about doing the journey map is that it's again, that empathy piece and you're going to end up designing better products and services that are in tune with their customers needs and really understands where they are in the whole process. And 
um, when you also look at your internal processes, cause you're looking at, okay, well, they, you know, their first touch might be a sales call or it might be the website or it might be, and then they move through accounting or whoever, and it creates this consistent service across the roles and functions and departments of your business. And, you know, when you have consistent quality service, that's going to turn your clients and customers into raving fans. They'll be more loyal and they're more likely to refer people to you. So, and also when you take that bias to action and you're still looking at it with empathy, you're, you're responding quickly to needs and changes in the market. Like, you know, the great example is during the pandemic, people you know, didn't want to still, I think are somewhat reluctant to eat out. Well, restaurants have adapted to that by, you know, offering more takeout options and more outdoor seating options and things like that. So, you know, to make those adaptations um, quickly and respond to changing mar market needs and hopefully we won't have another pandemic again, but I'm sure there, but there are always, hope, right? Right. But there's always changes, you know, there's always disruptions in the market, whether that's, you know, like the Uber and the tax and taxi industry, right. That's a disruption. And so, you know, you're, you're, if you're a taxi company, maybe you, you want to be able to respond to that. So you need to rethink things or approach things differently. So you want to, um, make that step. And with, when you have that designer's mindset, you're open to that. You're not stuck in like, no, this is the way we've always done it, which is something I know as a lawyer, we hear a lot in law firms. Well, this is the way we've always done it. And it's kind of getting into the, and said that, well, you know what, that's not going to work anymore because so much has changed. And it also really helps you with your internal processes and operations. Uh, it can expose when you take a look at that client journey and you're mapping out the steps and what they go through with your business, you can often, oftentimes reveal there's inconsistencies or inefficiencies and redundancies. So there might be having, they're giving the same information to three different people. And, and why is that happening? It's not efficient for, for them. And, and it's probably going to be a pain in the neck to the clients and customers thinking, well, I already told you this. And so, you know, it just exposes those types of things when you walk through that whole process. I think it's really interesting how, you know, the pandemic being a major disruptor, but on a lot of levels, it's really interesting. Bus businesses on all levels are getting disrupted, right? Some major, like you said, restaurants, others are being forced to, you know, so those businesses that have been less impacted mm -hmm. have still had major disruptions because you have this major exodus of a workforce. You have you know, essential workers remaining, all those concerns, you have people going out on leave, you have people going sick time, school time, whatever, you know, family issues, all sorts of things, people having to rethink. So no matter what end of the spectrum, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And I think, um, honestly, I think it's like the perfect time for human centered design, because one of the things that's really come home is how companies are supporting their employees and the importance of that. And that's, you know, because you have that empathy piece in there and that's so important, you're really getting in there and understanding your employees' needs. And it talks about the ambiguity too. Like you, the best way to know what your employees need right now is to actually ask them and understand that. Amazing, right? So, and then, <laughs> But people forget about that part. Yeah. You know, how many times have you found yourself in a meeting talking about what you think somebody else needs or how this is going to work? And then somebody says, hey, you know, why don't we ask them? Why yeah. don't we take a survey? Why don't we bring them in? Why don't we get a, a, a focus group or something? Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, you know, 
it seems so obvious, but people just are resistant to do it. Or they think, I think a lot of times we feel like everything has to be in place. We have to know exactly what we're doing before we bring someone else into the process. And human centered design is kind of the opposite. You want to bring people into the process early and often so that you can foster those conversations and get those experiments out and try things and see what works. And, you know, I think when you understand, so as a company employer, you can also map the employee journey too. And that starts with before they, you know, before they hear about your company, before they maybe, you know, they're just kind of thinking they might change jobs or, or what, or maybe they're laid off because of the pandemic, whatever it is, it kind of gets you, it asks you to go in there and see what are they thinking and feeling that is going to ultimately lead them to apply and interview and get hired at your company. And when you really understand the needs of your employees, as not just onboarding, but when they're there as well, that you get higher retention rates, um, increased employee engagement, which I know has been a really hot topic recently. And that leads to improved productivity and also really motivates your employees a lot more because they feel like they know where they are as part of the process. Way motivation. That's a biggie, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, As you're talking, I'm thinking what's going through my head is like embrace the mess. Mm -hmm. Embrace the mess that is us as human beings, humanity in general. Yeah, I think that's a really good way at it. <laughs> Changes and all these things. Okay. So let's switch uh, and talk about the employee side. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the benefits that I talked about also been directly benefit your employees as well. And you, when you have that designer's mindset and you're open to different ideas of radical collaboration, that really builds a culture of collaboration and innovation. And that can really break down the silos. You know, a lot of times we have the different departments or different functions that are all in their own little world and they don't really interact and they don't see how their pieces fit in with the larger piece. So um, when you bring in that human-centered design and you're really understanding the entire journey of everyone involved, then those silos get broken down because you're encouraging people to have those conversations and say, well, if I do this, how does it affect you over here? And people see that and they see the greater, the greater picture of what's happening. And I think also, too, it really changes the way employees can be evaluated and it encourages uh, evaluations and measurements based on their client service and how well they contribute to the overall mission of the company instead of metrics that maybe don't matter as much. And I think, again, like with the pandemic and the supporting the employees, there's been more of a recognition that just because someone's not in the office doesn't mean they're not working or they're not getting things done because there's actually been an uptick, I think, in productivity. And so, you know, it's kind of like being open to supporting that and getting away from the the five-day work week or the 40-hour work week or whatever it is. And so you're fostering that sense of autonomy for employees and they're going to get more done. They're going to feel better about what they're doing. And they're going to realize that, you know, it's safe for them to say things like, hey, I'm having a rough day right now because they're going to have those needs met. And they know they know that. So there's that confidence for employees. And I think it just creates a really a place where people want to work. And because they know their needs are going to be met and they know they're part of something bigger. And so it just, uh, yeah, it's going to make them want to stay. It brings them in and makes them want to stay. Yeah, it's interesting. I, the employee side is so important. And I think that it gets, sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle. Um, I, we had uh, someone on the show not too long ago, uh, employee-owned companies. So these ESOP organizations and Everything you're saying is kind of is 
kind of what they're designed towards this, this idea that that's one way to like, to really drive that home, this, this impact that you're a part of something. It's not just top down. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, you're involved, you're a part of it. You have ownership, uh, literally, um, of some aspect of the company or, or the aspects of the company. Um, how would, if I'm an employee, how would I go about trying to bring some of these ideas into the workplace? Do you have any suggestions in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what the initial state is right now. Like if your company is really rigid, that's going to be a harder sell. But I would say go into it and prototype, take, try it, just find something, a project, a small project that, you know, you go into and you say, Hey, I want to, I want to just try this and, and see if it, if I can improve this particular process or this particular interaction or whatever, like start with something really, really small and just see if you can um, go through the process and get the results. And hopefully you'll get data to take back later and say, okay, this worked really well here. This improved X, Y, Z, you know, maybe we can try it with this now and just sort of work your way up uh, through it. So um, that could be a good way to introduce it. Just like baby steps, one little step at a time. Right. And involve the grouch. Mm-hmm. Right. Involve, exactly. Involve exactly. Oscar in his trash cans. <laughs> yep. the corner. Well, and I like to say too, and this is one way that you can kind of explain it to people is that it did service design in the companies. It's like a, a audience, a performance, a theater performance. So, you know, the, the front facing people that have things that every see the, the customers see the customers are your audience and whatever they see, that's the front of the curtain. But meanwhile, backstage, there are a lot of other things going on that make that production good. And so, you know, if you go to the theater and every scene change takes 15, 20 minutes, that's going to really <laughs> impact the experience of the audience. Right. Yes. <laughs> and then, um, you know, and then, okay. So your audience member goes to the customer service, the stage manager and says, you know, well, gosh, this show was like, you know, what happened? It took so long and what was going, it wasn't very good. And the, the stage manager might say, well, hey, you got what you paid for. You, you know, you saw the show and, you know, it just took six hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? Did we so, not meet know, your expectation? What? <laughs> right, exactly. So, I mean, that just like brings home the importance of those, all that behind the scenes work, you know, they need to be your stage hands and everyone costumes, whatever it is backstage needs to be working well. So to support that front stage audience facing uh, service. And so I think as an employee, you can, that's one analogy that you can use that kind of brings home why this stuff is, matters. I think that's great. I love the theater analogy because it's all magic, you know, yeah. because it's so well run, it looks like magic. And exactly. that's kind of what you're saying they need to do, right? Yeah. That yeah. customer experience, that front front facing needs to look like magic. Like we've been doing this for, for hundreds of years. We're so good at this. You <laughs> exactly. can't even tell we have issues. It's a All well- right. Oh, so what do what? I said it's a well-oiled machine. Exactly. The well-oiled machine. Well, as we wrap up today, can you give us your cautionary tales or words of wisdom thoughts for the future? Yeah, well, I've touched on it with the journey mapping, but that is a really powerful tool. And I would just encourage people to use that in whatever way fits, whatever they're trying to um, figure out and really understanding that whole experience that an employee or customer goes through. I think that's a really powerful tool. 
and really focus on how people are thinking, how people are feeling and what they're actually doing and what you want them to do next. Like what helps them meet, uh, what helps them move down the line and then take that next step in the journey. And hopefully that journey leads to your business. But if it, you know, but you really want to understand that because that's going to make a real difference in providing the um, best service for them and the best client experience. So that's one of my, I guess that I just want to suggest that again, because I think it's a really powerful tool and it's something anyone can do. That's great. Well, Catherine, thank you so much. That's our show for today. You have provided some wonderful information for our listeners. I thank you so much for coming and joining us and sharing all of your thoughts and your experiences. Thank you, Teresa. You can learn more about Catherine by visiting the Resource Woman's website at thetransitionnavigator.com. You can also connect with Catherine via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar.